All right, so let's look at Zechariah. We're in the middle of a series on Zechariah. And we, um, Zechariah is positioned here on the last half of the Old Testament. Specifically, after that 70-year exile, they're coming back after having broken God's law. And now they're getting back into the land. And specifically, we're here in this time period. And now, last couple of months, we've been spending time here going through some of the historical books, Ezra and Nehemiah. And now we've gone through Haggai, and we're in the middle of Zechariah. So when I say middle, that's in the middle of these eight visions about the Messianic kingdom. We're on visions six and seven. There's a little bit bigger here, if we zoom in. And then here is just kind of an overview. So I've had some folks tell me that as they're listening online, they don't get to see the visuals. So that's the good thing. This week, um, for you guys coming in, you you get to see the visuals. Um, This week, I spent a little bit too much time in them, and it kind of ended up looking fantasy fiction, which for those of you who like fantasy fiction, it'll probably be cool. But let's look at the over here. So chapter one, um, Jim came in and he spoke a little bit about what repentance is and what repentance isn't. And then we talked a bit about this vision, these horsemen that came in that were surveying the land, and they were really asking the Lord, how long, O Lord, are you going to punish these people? Are you going to forever have these people kicked out of the land? And God's answer is absolutely not. They're coming in now. And the horsemen are then followed up by the craftsmen. And you wouldn't think that craftsmen are, very, are people to be afraid of, really. But whenever your kingdom is represented by a horn and lots of crafts are made out of horns, well, then you better watch out because they might come and chop off your horns. And that's what's happening. The craftsmen come in and they're chopping off the horns of these other countries. And so watch out for those powerful craftsmen. And so then chapter two, we talked a little bit about measuring lines and burnt sticks, and we talked about how it's not necessarily a bad thing if God wants to measure something, because he might be measuring it so that he can give you a blessing. And that's what's happening here. Jerusalem is not big enough for the blessing that God wants to give them, so he calls it a city without walls. And this is a big deal, because Nehemiah is there trying to build the walls, and you have Zechariah building the temple, and God's like, well, go ahead and build those walls, but it's not going to be by power, it's not going to be by might, it's going to be by my spirit. I am going to make this a city without walls, and I am going to protect it with fire. So my walls are going to be better than your walls. They are fiery walls that will keep everyone out, and it'll be big enough to keep all the blessing in. And so we also saw that God redeems burnt sticks. He pulls the priest out, and really it's not a great sight here. This priest is on the end, and God says, you are this burnt stick. And we find out then by the next prophecy what's going to happen is God not only washes his clothes, forgives them all in one day, but then what he actually does is turn him into the son of oil. And this picture of sons of oil is that there are these two olive trees, and out of them, they have these branches that are the sons of oil that are flowing through. It seems like the, the, the oil of the Holy Spirit powering the lights that are then going to be lighting up the temple. And now today, we're going to talk a little bit about something. If it wasn't weird enough, it gets even weirder. And in fact, this is one of these passages that I've just kind of ignored most of my life. because I read it, and I'm like, well, that's weird. I don't know what that means. That's weird. And I keep reading about later on. But then Jim and I were debating who was going to get this passage. It fell on me. And now I'm actually glad it did, because it kind of makes sense now. So we're going to talk about the flying scroll, the basket, and the woman today. So remember last week, the, the assignment was... Re-listen, pause as, as you get to the prayer, and I wanted you guys to check your plumb line. You remember last week we talked a little bit about plumb lines, and the plumb line measures what is straight, and when God saw Zechariah's plumb line, he said, this is good. This pleases me when I see Zechariah's plumb line. Now keep that plumb line in your mind, because this week we're going to be dealing with bad measures, things that God does not like. So in the previous chapter, he loved Zechariah's plumb line, 
Everything in this chapter, God pretty much hates throughout this chapter. So I um, encourage you last week to, as part of your New Year's resolutions or part of your New Year's decisions, to actually start celebrating small beginnings and not to beat yourself up too much if you do a poor job at starting off in whatever God's calling you into, but celebrate those small beginnings because even when it was just a plumb line hanging on a foundation that was not built, God said to Zechariah to look here at Zerubbabel, I am pleased with this, and God could see the completed building before it was even begun. So part of it's a matter of what was your measure. So, and I suggested that you pray a little bit, fast a little bit, do a little bit of releasing and preparation for what's going to happen here today. And some of you, you're going to have to step out a little bit here today. We're going to have a time of prayer where you can make some decisions in your seats. But for many of you, it will come to a point where you realize, you know what? I don't think this is going to be permanent. I think that if I make this decision in my seat right now, I can get three quarters of the way. And the prayer team is here really to help you with that other one quarter of the way. We've actually set up a prayer room off to the side here behind the chalkboards. We've got some places to pray there. So some of you have to start mustering up already. Um, it'll, be, it'll be a time that's quiet. Everyone's eyes will be closed. But we won't be calling people forward, but we'll be calling you guys to come into community with a prayer team to pray with, pray with them. And remember, we have a meal after this, so there's time to do this as well. So you might have to work your way up to this, but ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And I also ask you to email me, and some of you did that. I appreciate it. It's great to get to know some of you guys and your stories. Continue to send those emails in. So this one is called Return to Sender, and you'll see why when we get to the end as we start talking about some of these things. So Jen is going to read our passages for us today as we go through the text. Okay, good. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. And he said to me, what do you see? I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. Then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals shall be cleaned out according to what is on one side. And everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume him, both timber and stones. All right, so let's first talk a little bit about curses, um, because some of you might be triggered by that word curses, the idea that God would send a curse. That doesn't sound like an all-loving God, does it? Well, it sounds like the God of the Bible. So we need to deal with this if we're going to follow the God of the Bible, because curses don't normally sound good. And if, if there's something that's not good, how can a good God send something that's not good? Well, let's look a little bit at curses. Uh, the first thing is in the Old Testament, curses were expected to happen with disobedience. Um, we might call them consequences today, um, but often they are kind of a curse. Something you did have, has a consequence, and some of that's built right into the system. Some of that God might be dishing out, but some of it is built right into the system. And if we look in the law of Moses, we see that there are blessings and curses in the law, and the idea is if you do these good things, then good things will happen. You do these bad things, and bad things will happen. It's pretty clear. And if you remember in the Exodus, when they came into the promised land, they entered in between two mountains. One was Mount Ebal, one was Mount Gerizim, and they had people on the top of one shouting down blessings. If you follow the law, these blessings will happen. And on the other side, they had them shouting down curses. If you follow these bad ways, these bad things will happen. Well, guess what? Read Lamentations. It's pretty much a repetition of Deuteronomy and all the curses that were said that would happen if you didn't break the law. I mean, if you did break the law, and now they did break the law, and now those things are happening. 
So they're very acquainted with curses. They just came out of a land that's really the land of curses where they have been cast out because of their disobedience. So this is part of the system from the very beginning. So remember though also that blessings are a part of this. So we serve a jealous God, amen? You're getting there, a little bit more. That can be a good thing, right? We serve a jealous God, amen? amen. All right? So we, we learned, if you guys missed it, you might need to go back a couple sermons, but we found that some of this aspect of God's jealousy is actually a really good thing. It makes him have a relentless love to come after us. And remember, this is the guy that takes burnt sticks and he makes them into sons of oil. So blessings are also in this as well. If you focus just on the curses, then you start getting frustrated. But if you start to understand the blessings, then it starts to make more sense. And in our culture, we have to be very careful because it's very hard to find a church that has both of these together, understanding that God does want to bless and prosper his people, but at the same time, there are also curses involved whenever we're going through this. And also understanding, yes, I understand, we're not under the Mosaic law, we're under more of a moral law that's timeless, and we're under the law of Christ if we're believers in Christ. And so there is, there is some nuance there, but you got to study your Bible to understand it. So moving on. So with this, this scroll, when we talk about the size, 15 by 30, I thought about bringing in a tarp so you guys could see how big this is, but it's just too big. It's too big for this room to bring in. This scroll is very, very big. And if you look at prophecy, there are times when God has a scroll appear that's double-sided, but never one this big. Usually they're small and they make the prophets eat it. This one's too big to eat. This is a big, big scroll and it's a big, big curse. 15 by 30 feet, it's huge. And it's written on both sides. And on one side, it talks about how we're supposed to not rob. It's all about robbery and the curses that go along with robbery. And the other one has to do with the idea of swearing falsely in God's name. If you look at the Hebrew there, it's this idea of empty talking. You're, you're saying something, but there's no real substance to it. Um, and so the one side of the scroll has one, the other side has the other. The penalty then is a perpetual curse. Um, now, by the way, um, when we find the word forever and perpetual in scripture, usually it's the Hebrew word olam, which just means indefinitely, um, which is hard because if you, for example, if you store grain in a um, airtight container, if you're into canning, um, it will store indefinitely. And in fact, we've actually found uh, various uh, canisters that had grain stored from ancient Egypt, and it's still good. You still can eat it. It's still good. Woolly mammoths, frozen. People are still eating pieces of woolly mammoths when they find it. It stores indefinitely. Um, but then again, depending on the situation, maybe that could also you know, go bad too. You know, very easily, a week or two, if you can something poorly, it could not, um, it's not there. So it's like an indefinite period of time it goes bad. So there is this curse that for the foreseeable future here, um, there's going to be a curse that remains in your house and it's going to consume it both timber and stones. So you can't think, okay, I'm just going to do this sin and I'm going to keep it in this small area. No, he's saying by doing this, it's pervasive through your whole house. And if you're not living alone, this might affect other people too um, if you were bringing this sin into your house. So why these two sins? I've been pondering this a lot. Um, some people say, well, it's, it's supposed to be representative of the whole law because really these are two of the Ten Commandments. So it makes sense. It's two of the ten, so maybe all the commandments are on there. But the text seemed to indicate that one side is talking about one thing and all of its curses, and the other side is talking about the other thing and it's all curses. So I think it's a lot of just curses all over this. And the idea is, I, I don't know, is it everybody's name who did this in Jerusalem? Because he's going to say when he talks about the basket, it's pervasive through all the land. Um, but whatever the case may be, I think God made it big enough 
that you notice it. You can't ignore this. This isn't some tiny little scroll. This is huge, um, and I think it's trying to identify a huge problem. And the fact that it's written on both sides, I think that's also one of those things where it's saying it's, it's full, it's filled up. Um, anytime you write a letter and you end up having to write on both sides, or you write someone a card and you start turning it sideways and backwards to get everything on there, you have a whole lot to say. So God has a whole lot to say, so much so he makes this absurdly large scroll and fills it up on both sides, and the idea is this is judgment on both sides. Now, these might be the two most rampant sins during the day. That could also be a reason why it's these two. It's just culturally, these are the two main things they're struggling with. But one thing I've been tossing around all week is maybe because we're talking about Zerubbabel building the temple, maybe this is talking about temple stuff. Maybe there's something related to the temple that these two things tie back into. So two things come to mind. Um, We're getting ready to, one of the last books here, we have to debate if we want to cover this one yet. This is the only prophet we haven't covered that's a post-exilic prophet, prophet after the exile, Malachi. When we get to the end of the Old Testament, we find them in their house. It's already been built up. The the house of God's been built. And now they're offering lame sacrifices. They're robbing God. The idea is they're robbing him from tithes and offerings. They're trying to do everything they possibly can to follow maybe some of the details of the law and skirt around what the actual spirit of the law is. And so Malachi is going to accuse them of robbing God. So thievery and temple goes together, right? And then also here we see by the New Testament times, I don't think this is something new, but by the time of Jesus, he's going to call it a den of robbers because what they found is the law is so detailed on what people have to do, there are ways to exploit it. Um, And that's, by the way, going to be one of the reasons why the Mosaic law is not going to be something that can be permanent and forever because the written law, we call the letter of the law, it kills, but the spirit gives life. And a lot of folks are trying to look at the letter of the law and trying to figure out what can we do in order to be able to make money off the temple system. Another thing that Jesus talks about is they had this, this, uh, this habit and this tradition, which seems kind of childish. Do you remember when you were a kid, there was this thing like, my fingers are crossed? Is there something new that replaced that? My fingers are crossed. You know, I, oh, I promise, oh, my fingers were crossed. And so now anytime anybody is saying something, oh, wait, let me see your hands. Okay, as though, that's, as though you've now accepted that system that fingers crossed means that you can just outright lie to someone's face. And you would think this wouldn't be a thing that grown-ups do, but apparently it is, because what we see here is that Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees and the people of his day, saying they would swear on the temple, but then they would say, well, I didn't swear on the gold on the temple. You have to swear on the gold on the temple for it to actually count. And Jesus is just saying that's ridiculous. And I just can't believe adults do this, but they do. And then here's another one, um, the idea of Corbin. Um, Under the ban is literally what it means in Hebrew. And what was happening was, especially the Pharisees, Jesus is rebuking them. And what would happen is the Pharisees weren't taking care of their families. And what they were saying is like, oh, I don't have anything to give them. Like, well, what's all this stuff over here? Uh, Well, I already dedicated that to God, so I can't give it to them. That's God's stuff. I can't give God's stuff away. But you can use it, right? You can use God's stuff. So they're using God's stuff, and then they're keeping it from everyone else. So Jesus calls this straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel when it comes to following the law. And so it makes sense. If we're getting ready to set up a temple, and there's going to be a lot of these temple kind of things that are going to happen by the time of Jesus' day, where people are swearing by the temple or swearing by the gold in the temple, they're setting up a court where they can be able to sell, buy and sell things, and they're using dishonest scales in order to do it. It makes sense that when you're setting up a temple, you're going to have to clear out some of these things. 
So part of this, I think, is going to come down to the next vision. If we roll into the next vision, I think that helps us to understand this vision a little bit more clearly. And it has to do with a dishonest etfa. That's the name of the basket. And it's going to answer why these two sins in particular. So, Jen. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, lift your eyes and see what this is going out. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is the etfa that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the ephah and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. All right, so it's important. Some of your translations do you a favor and a disservice at the same time by translating epha as basket. And so you don't ask the question, what's an epha? You just say, oh, it's a basket. And so what you have is a woman in a basket. That is not completely helpful um, because an epha is actually something that is an official measurement. Um, even as far as back as Hezekiah, they standardized their measurements um, because they needed to make sure that when they go to market, everyone who is selling an epha's worth of grain gets an epha's worth of grain. And so an epha is about nine and a third gallons. And we've been kicking around the house enough and trying to figure out, you know, in the church, is there any person who could fit into a nine and a half gallon basket? Is there any women, woman like this that we could get into a basket? Even we're thinking children who could fit in this basket. Um, is this silly or not? Or, but that's not the point. It's a vision, right? Um, and I, I think maybe, maybe at that time, maybe there was a small enough woman that could fit in this basket. Um, but the idea here is I don't think we're actually talking about a woman here in this basket. It might be part of a vision that's representing something else. But know that this is talking about a very specific sized basket. You must not have two different weights in your bag, one heavy and one light. You must not have two differing dry measures in your house, a larger and a smaller. You must have a full and honest weight, a full and honest dry measure. That's coming from Deuteronomy 25. You shall do no injustice in judgment, in measurement of length, weight, or volume, you shall have honest scales, honest weights, an honest ephah, and an honest hin. All right, so apparently there's something considered a dishonest ephah. Um, the idea would be you have two different bags of weights, and you're like, well, am I buying or am I selling? Which one are my weights? I've got to change them out so it comes out in my favor. You don't want to change your weights too much, just a little bit, just enough to get by. And in some cultures, that actually is just considered good business. You know, there's, there in, some, in some neighborhoods, it's like, well, the keys were in the car. They were asking for it to get stolen. You know, they shouldn't have been in this neighborhood. They shouldn't have dressed that way. They're asking for this. And there's this kind of morality that's associated with, well, idiots are allowed to be taken advantage of. And, and some cultures actually will, will understand that. And you, you know to ask, well, are your fingers crossed? Okay, well, then I'll make the deal, okay? And so this is an example here of one of these stone weights. And this, was, uh, this is actually earlier than our time period. It's kind of neat. It goes be before the Babylonian captivity. Um, and what's interesting about this, you might wonder, this one that we found, this is one of two that we found from that era. You might wonder, is it accurate? It is not. It is three times the weight that's marked on the front of it. And so we found out of the two that we found in history from this time period, it is three times the weight that it's supposed to be. So someone's trying to game the system here with this old weight that was found. So this was pretty pervasive. You remember last time, this is review here, last time we talked about not scorning small things and the eyes of the Lord scan and the eyes then um, fall on this plumb line and God is then going to rejoice with this plumb line. Well, you see now maybe this is tied together. That you have this honest measure that's getting ready to build the temple 
and you have these dishonest measures, and God's saying, no, this isn't going to be part of our society. This isn't going to be part of our temple system. These things need to go. So when you compare the two together, we see that one is not like the other. So I want to look at the contents here, then why is a woman in the basket? Why has it got to be a woman in the basket? Uh, And by the way, depending on, this is a good litmus test for you here, if you start to think like, well, yeah, it should be a woman in the basket, should be wicked, um, or you're on the other side of it so deeply offended, or you're neutral, um, or anywhere in between, that might be something to pray into. Why is it that whenever you see a woman in the basket, you think the thing that you're thinking? Um, There might be something there. And I thought about actually getting into some gender issues and all of that. I've been thinking the Lord wants us to bring some of that stuff in, but I got to wait till the text talks about it. And so it's not there yet. I don't think this is what it's talking about yet, but eventually we'll get there when it comes up. So when we look at the, the Hebrew language, the Greek, all sorts of languages, they're going to have something called masculine, feminine, and neuter words. And it's odd because the word road in Greek is masculine, but the word kingdom is feminine. Um, the word scripture is feminine. And it doesn't always make sense. Sometimes it makes sense. It doesn't always make sense. Um, and in this particular case, the Hebrew word for wickedness is feminine. Um, now, when you look at Proverbs, the word for wisdom is feminine. And so it's, it kind of works out well if you're a woman then. Like, oh, lady wisdom. That's great. Um, but now lady wickedness, not so great. All right. And, and so the same thing here, um, there, there are analogies for women being good as well. The bride of Christ is probably one of the number one things that we would think of the church as being, and it's a woman in the New Testament. So let's not think necessarily this is gendered. However, at the same time, I do have to wonder, because there's going to be some more women that show up in this passage, and they are not normal. Uh, let's look at them here in a second. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings. They had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth. So wings of a stork, wings, um, storks are unclean animals. Uh, this is probably a bad sign that they have unclean animal wings. I don't know. Maybe angels have stork wings, and it's just a normal thing. But in this particular instance, um, what they're doing, it seems like they are these trash men, trash women, that are taking this basket away. And so I don't know. There's, there's three women now in this story. Then I said to the angel who talked to me, where are they taking the basket? He said, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base. So it very much sounds like what's happening, Shinar, by the way, is Babylon. And so it sounds like they're taking the wickedness of this people back to the land. And this is part of why I'm saying return to sender. They're coming from the land of Babylon and they're bringing back some Babylonian ways. And God's saying, that's not right. That's not going to be a part of who we are. It's going to tear down your house. It's going to tear down my house. And we have to send it back. And here's the bizarre thing. They aren't just sending wickedness back. They're sending it back where a building is going to be built for it. And it's going to be put on a pedestal. And it sounds very much like they're going to worship this thing, personify this thing. Uh, and Babylon actually did have a goddess with wings that was you know, carved out. And you just wonder, is this the forming of a god that they worship? Is this the expression of a god there? Is this just a vision that doesn't have any bearing on what they're going to build for real in Babylon? But what God is saying here is this is so significant. This is not just your behavior that affects you. This is almost God-making. There is something here where you're almost deifying the things that you do that you would rather serve your robbery and your dishonesty than you would rather serve the Lord. And so when we talk about idols and getting rid of idols in our lives, 
it seems like that's what's going on here. There's this idea of idols that are going on with these two particular sins that are being, um, being cast out. And now compare that to what we had in the last chapter. Olive trees with the oil of the Holy Spirit flowing down through God's people into this light that lights the world. Or we can have two stork women that are carrying a wicked basket full of wickedness. Um, there's a dichotomy here, a comparison between the two. So here's our application. Do we have two sets of weights? Do we have an honest epitha? If you're not going to market every week, this might not quite hit home. So Jen and I were talking a little bit about this. What are, what are some applications here from the least to the greatest of this? Um, you know, see I have, uh, for those of you who are listening online and can't see it from the back, I got a picture of a guy with his pocket stuffed full of mo- Monopoly money. There's a guy either putting money in or taking money out of the offering, don't know which it is. Someone doing their taxes, someone shoplifting. Um, so robbery here. Um, even from the least to the greatest, some of you cheat at Monopoly, and you think it's okay, or whatever game it is. You think if no one catches you, it's all right. Um, but part of it's going to be, why are you doing it? Is there a certain thrill that goes along with this in the game that you're able to pull something over on someone else? I just played the cheater's edition, really, and it's not really cheating because they have rules for cheating, and so it's not really. I try to find ways around the rules. I think I found some. But anyways, with this, the question is really, is there anything in your life that is a form of robbery here? And you might be surprised to know as well, things like shoplifting and tax evasion, it's not often because people need the money. It's often because of the thrill that goes along with it or something they're believing that leads them to find meaning in that part of their life by doing those things. And the same thing about empty swearing. Um, The idea of taking the Lord's name in vain, um, people are pretty um, adamant about not having certain swearing and moving, and I can appreciate that, not taking the Lord's name in vain. But part of that meaning is we take the name of the Lord upon ourselves. And the idea of swearing upon something is to try to get power from something else, and that we're appealing to a higher power in this. Um, We're invoking the name of something. Um, And we've lost that understanding a bit about what is the power in the name of Jesus. It's the power that every knee will bow, every time will confess, and, and to the glory of God in heaven and earth. So when we look through this, if you're online, you know, it's just pictures of sad children and marriage vows and various deals that are being made, business deals and baptism. So part of the question is, are you deceiving anyone in your own life, whether that be you or somebody else? Is there a swearing that's happening where you're saying something is true, but you're deceiving others and you're deceiving ourselves? These are the kinds of things that are not welcome within God's people, within God's kingdom. These are the kind of things that the God makers, where you are making this idol in your life, that you serve that thing rather than serving the true and living God. And it's the opposite of what we talked about with this uh, plumb line. And so the question that I asked last week, I asked again, is how honest is your plumb line? How honest is your basket, your dealings with one another, your dealings with others? And part of this application as well is how is your house? Um, Some of you, you've done some of these things many, many years ago, but you still live under a curse. Or your family's done some of these things many, many years ago, and you still live under a curse. You believe your family name is cursed. You believe that you can't succeed, and you have this mindset that there's nothing that you can do. You're always going to fail. God is always against you. There's nothing that you can possibly do, and you're living underneath this curse. And so it might not even be something that you've done. So I want to read one more passage here and have a prayer time. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of his neighbor, for we are members of one another. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All right, so as we pray, the prayer team is going to be available over here behind the chalkboards. We set up a little room for you guys, so we have space for that to come out. I'm going to encourage you to, to work your way over there, and as we're praying, the prayer team will work their way over there as well. So let's just take a moment, and we're going to pray through these two passages, the Zechariah passage and also the Ephesians passage. So let's pray. Lord God, we dedicate this time to you to pray through some things that could be getting in the way of us walking in your blessing, your favor. So Lord, we ask each one of us, would you bring our minds to rest and our heart to peace? Would you bring us into a posture of listening? We might hear from you today. And we ask, would you show us, is there any robbery or unjust measures in our life? Would you search each one of us? And would you bring to light, what are those things in our lives that are these unjust measures, forms of robbery? They're getting in the way of our lives, getting in the way of our house, being blessed. Would you give us a sense, are we the thief or are we the one that is stolen from? Would you show us, is there anything that's been stolen from us that's getting in the way of us walking out in your blessing? Anything that we've stolen from someone else? Or would you show us, is there anything we need to do to make amends for this? Lord, you've told us not just to stop stealing, but also to start giving. Start working with our own hands. Show us what's the next step that we need to truly get past what we've done or what's been done to us. Would you help us to see how to help bless that person and make them feel safe? How we can be blessed and be made safe. Would you show us, is there anything we're believing, any lies we're believing that's getting in the way of us working honestly and sharing with others. Would you highlight that belief? And as these things come up, just do business with the Lord. It's not about you following me down some prayer path. It's about you connecting with the Lord, and that's what we're trying to facilitate here. And again, at any time, feel free to get up, go over to the prayer room. We have folks available, and then we also even have a meal afterwards so you can spend some time. Just tell the person beside him heading over. And by the way, you don't have to share any details of this. You don't have to make any confessions. You have to just say something like, I did something I shouldn't do, and I feel bad about it. Okay, well, we can pray about that. We don't have to have any details. The details don't necessarily help anyone. Or something's been done to me, and this is what I'm struggling with. Or are there any empty vows, Lord, that we're still holding on to? Would you search our vows and show us anything that's empty that needs to be renounced? Lord, what's the real thing? Would you tweak that vow? Would you show us the good in it and help us hold on to the good and shun that which is evil about it? 
Some of you even have scripture that's been misapplied, weaponized against the kingdom in an effort to try to advance the kingdom. And Lord, I pray for anyone here that feels like they're living under a curse. We come against that in the name of Jesus. We ask, Lord, would you break this curse? Lord, that which seems to be perpetual and forever. Lord, would you open that jar, exposing that curse, spoiling it? Lord, you've adopted us into your family. And Lord, you've said that we have to renounce our family, despising them coming to you so that we would be worthy to be your disciple. And so, Lord, I pray, would you help us to let go of those parts of our family that are not of you, those parts that we self-identify with just because we're related or because we grew up in that house? Help us to lay those things aside, Lord, that we might walk out the blessings of that family. Lord, you've said that you bless up to a thousand generations. You curse up to three, but you bless up to a thousand. So we call upon the blessings of a thousand generations upon each person here. So at this point, if you guys will just picture anything that's in your heart, anything that's in your mind that does not belong in God's building, does not belong in God's kingdom, just picture putting in this basket up front here. Just picture it, feel it leaving you and going into the basket. Surrender it over. Renounce it. If you feel it tied to you, ask the Lord, Lord, why do I hold on to this? Why does it hold on to me? Lord, we commit ourselves to not allow corrupting talk to come of our mouths, only that which is good for building each other up, giving grace to those who hear. I'm going to ask at this point, just everything, put these things in the basket. I have two people that I asked to carry the basket out kind of ceremoniously. We're getting rid of this. The basket's going out. You have an opportunity to still do it. But if these ladies will carry the basket out, we're going to take the basket out. So just we're taking up an offering but the offering is not financial. The offering are those things that need to go. The offering the Lord wants from you is not merely money, but he wants you to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with him. Just feel everything leaving with that basket. Lord, we commit ourselves not to grieve your spirit by whom we've been sealed for the day of redemption. So Lord, we put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clander, clamor, slander away from us. We put away malice. We commit ourselves to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave us. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, so as Charity comes up to sing the final song, same thing as last week, but this week what we're going to be working on is continuing to cut ties with your empty vows, getting rid of your unjust measurements and curses, and rededicating your life, house, and your family. And if you feel like you need someone from the prayer team to come over and help you with that, um, we can do that. If you feel like um, that you want to do it yourself, we have materials that you guys can ask us, so email me there as well, and I can send you something to help you pray through each room of your house and pray a blessing over your house.